really nice to be with you again tonight. Thank you again for having me today. Really, really great to see you. Um, we're going to read from a different chapter to what I said we would. I um, just was thinking this morning, actually, this one would be a really good one to go through. Um, so Romans 15, verses 14 to 24. Um, so I'll give you a bit of an opportunity to, to just find that in your Bibles. Um, yeah, so I'll read that out for us as we start. Okay. Just a second, sorry. Computer stuff. Okay, we're good now. Right. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. It might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the round to Illyricium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Cool. Keep, keep the Bible open. We're going to be looking at, at it a fair bit, understandably, because that's what we're here to do. Um, I want to take you back in time slightly to start this. Not too far because I'm not that old yet, but when I was 17, I was attending Truro College and I was desperate to get the grades that I needed to make it to Exeter University. That's where I really wanted to go. And it's obviously worked out quite well because I'm still in Exeter now. But for the best part of a year, um, that meant that my goal in life um, was all about getting to this place where I could study. Um, it pretty much shaped everything I did, that goal. Uh, it shaped kind of what I thought about from every given moment, um, shaped the way I spent my time, shaped the way I spent my money. Um, all of a sudden, yeah, I wasn't buying sweets as much anymore. I was buying like books and stuff to, to study with. And I didn't realize how much of an impact that this goal of trying to get to university was having on me until uh, one evening my brothers came into uh, my room and they said, do you want to come and see a movie with us this evening? Do you want to come to the cinema? Now I love the cinema. I love going, I love everything about it. But I turned to them and I said, no, I like broke with type. And I think they were understandably quite surprised at the time. 
But you see, the fact of the matter is, in that moment, my new goal in life was not to go to the cinema and have a good time. My new goal was to get to university and everything thereafter for that year until I reached 18 um, was shaped by that. So I wouldn't go with them um, because I wanted to get to bed early. I wanted to ensure that the next morning I'd be able to get up and study properly instead of being like a zombie the next day. Um, so, you know, I, I turned them down um, and, you know, I had my Horlicks and I, you know, got to bed at, at 10 p.m. that night and uh, ended up studying and studying well the next day. Now, I'm not just telling you this to give you a taste of what life was like for me um, nearly 10 years ago, but I'm, I'm telling you this because human beings, whether we like it or not, we're goal-oriented creatures. There is something about our DNA that ensures that we are always working towards uh, something or valuing something that will inevitably impact the way we live, everything we do, uh, the decisions we make, the people we see, the way we spend our time. So in that example I gave, my goal was getting to university so I would go to bed early, I would not go to the cinema with my brothers, um, I would spend my money on books and not sweets. And the, the reason I'm mentioning this is because the passage before us this evening can help us to consider um, kind of on a bigger picture what our goal in life is, what our goal in life, what we're working towards really is as Christians. And I want to suggest that through Paul looking at his own life towards the end of the book of Romans um, makes two things very clear to us. Um, he makes the first thing clear, which is that the Christian's goal in life is to very simply bring God glory. And that sounds like Christian jargon, but we're going to unpack it. Bring God glory. And when we pursue this goal properly, the thing that it leads us to is to boldness, not, not like lack of hair, bold, but like boldness to like go out and do amazing things for Jesus. So let me just remind you, first point, the Christian's goal is to bring God glory, which leads us to, to boldness. So let's, let's take a look at, at what I mean here. The Christian's goal is to, to bring God glory. So just to give you a bit of context, at this point in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he basically starts to lift the lid on what his goal in life is. Here's what we read in verse 16 in the second half. Paul says, he, and this is God, gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Why? So that Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So God has given Paul a duty, like a special mission, to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, particularly to the Gentiles, so the, the non-Jewish population. And that is exactly what he did. You read through the book of Acts and you just see him going from Gentile place to Gentile place and telling them about Jesus. And the majority of the New Testament, the book you have in your hands right now, is basically just Paul's letters to churches in Gentile places where he set up the churches there. So Paul did this phenomenally well. He accomplished his special mission to, the, to take the gospel to the Gentiles um, with flying colors. But I want us to just take a step back. Why is this Paul's mission? Why has God given Paul this special mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles? Is it so people will look at Paul and they'll be like, wow, Paul is so cool. Paul is so gifted. Paul knows exactly what he's doing. 
in the pulpits or at the front of church? Is it just because Paul has always wanted to work with Gentiles? No, Paul's ultimate desire in preaching to the Gentiles is found in verses 17 and 18. Paul says this, therefore, I glory in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Now, that's a bit jargony as well. Let me put it in layman's terms. Paul's mission to the Gentiles has nothing to do with Paul. Nothing to do with Paul. It is all about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who accomplishes this mission. And Paul fulfills this mission to simply bring God glory. And I think one of the most helpful ways to think about that is Paul is basically trying to just make God look good. Paul doesn't want people to think he looks really cool or really gifted. He wants God to look good. He wants to glorify him. And um, you see this in churches when people get up at the front or when stewards do things at the door. Like this morning, I got given hand gel and people served and told me where to go. People at the back doing techie stuff that is beyond lots of us, I'm sure. From top to bottom, any service in the church, people are meant to look at you and not say, wow, you are great. Um, they are to say, wow, God is great. And that is why God gave Paul this mission to, to bring himself glory, ultimately. Um, this is confirmed throughout the Bible. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm living, it's all about Jesus. When I'm dying, I'm going to be with him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul writes even more clearly, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So in this passage, we're getting a really clear uh, and concise picture that Paul's ultimate goal in life is to bring God's glory. And if you're a Christian this evening, this is your goal too. When you are taken from death to life, when God becomes your Lord and your King, you are invited to lovingly live your life bringing Jesus Christ the glory that he deserves. People are meant to look at you and think, wow, God is great. That is what it is to bring God glory. But I have another question. What does this look like practically? Because this is it's pretty lofty stuff that we're talking about at the moment. What does it look like to, to practically bring God glory as a Christian? Well, from this passage for Paul, his ultimate goal of bringing God glory leads him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That is how Paul fulfills that goal. As we read in, in verse 21, he wants to take the gospel to those who are yet to hear it um, so that they will see and understand. So that's Paul's goal, but meeting that goal actually looks different for everyone. Um, let me read to you, you can turn to it if you want, 1 Peter 4 verses 10 and 11. Um, Here's what Peter writes, and he really gets at this, you know, how can we as Christians meet this goal of bringing God glory? He says this. This is such a good verse, by the way. I love these two verses. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. And this is the key part. 
this is the best bit. What, why are people doing all of these things? Paul, uh, Peter says, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. See, as Christians, every gift God has given you can be used to glorify God. I'm looking at all of you on Zoom, and I'm sure you've all got different interests, different gifts. You look like a very talented bunch. And all of those different gifts and abilities can be used to make God look good, um, to display him as the good God that he is to, to each other and to the outside world as well. Um, when I was writing this, I was thinking, you know, I should give examples. So I've kind of thought through this myself. I read this passage and I thought, how am I glorifying God? Well, for me, um, I try to make God look good through what I'm doing right now, preaching the Bible to you so you're left in awe of God. Um, I try and be a, a godly husband to my wife, Gina, um, to varying degrees of success, I might add. I try and share Jesus with the bloke that lives downstairs in the flat beneath me. Everything I can do, every interest I have, I can use to try and glorify God. But it can look like anything. And my encouragement to you would be to simply ask yourself the question frequently and often, how am I glorifying God with my life? How am I showing God to be great with my gifts and abilities? As I said, for, for Paul, it was through preaching to the Gentiles. Um, for me, it's those things I've just mentioned. For you, it could look like anything, um, but it's worth thinking that through properly if you haven't done so already. At this point, I think there's something, another question that's really worth asking. Um, and that is that actually often when we go about our lives, to be honest, there aren't many times when we're totally consumed with God's glory. Our goals and our desires are so often much more geared towards making ourselves look good than to making God look good. Or perhaps the idea of God's glory in this moment, sitting on this Zoom, it must be like the hundred Zoom you've sat on or something. Um, perhaps you're just not bothered about making God look good. God's glory just doesn't excite you that much. Um, and I'm guilty of that as much as anyone. But for me, those gifts that I have, I can easily make them more about me than about God. Um, I can preach a sermon like this one, secretly hoping that all of you think I'm a really good expositor of scripture. I can try to be a good husband because, you know, it's a nice ego boost. It's, it's nice to be thought of by others as a, as a good husband that looks after his wife. And I can often show the love of Jesus to those around me, um, primarily so people think I'm a nice person uh, that lives the Christian life well, and that they won't realize that actually I fail uh, at most turns. So if that's you, if your mind is not actually on the glory of God very often, if living for God's glory is not your ultimate goal often, how can you instead be like Paul? How can we instead be like Paul? How can we have this infectious zeal for God's glory that comes across here in Romans 15? Because it is possible. Paul was just a sinner saved and adopted through the grace of Jesus, just like you and I are, if you're a Christian. Is it a case of, of just, you know, pulling up your bootstraps and, and trying that little bit harder? Well, there's a place for effort in the Christian life, um, but that won't work in the long term. And I don't think it captures the greatness of the God that we serve, just trying harder. 
Um, there's a Scottish theologian, um, which is a great way to start any sentence from the 1800s called Thomas Chalmers. And this is a question that he struggled with as well. He asked the question, um, how shall the human heart be freed from its love for the world? Um, so this is relevant for us, there's overlap because we are asking the question, how can we be free from loving ourselves more than loving God's glory? And Chalmers response to that um, came in the form of a really short sermon, which you can buy now, it's just 30 pages long, you can buy it on any Christian bookshop or Amazon. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And the answer for Thomas Chalmers to this question that we're struggling with was basically that we need to realize in the depths of our souls that God is better and that God is more satisfying than this world, that God is better and that he is more satisfying than living for yourself, that God's glory is actually worth chasing and living for. Um, we need to replace a love of ourselves with a love for God. And that's why he called the book The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, because the only way to replace the love that we have for ourselves so often is to, to take it out, but then replace it with a better one, a more exciting love that is more worthwhile. And we see this throughout scripture. Um, let me read to you Matthew 13, 44. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. See, what you're seeing in that verse is the expulsive power of a new affection. This man, all of a sudden, everything he had before, he sells and gets rid of because of the treasure he's found in the field. In comparison to the treasure, everything he used to have was rubbish. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, says Jesus. Paul as well, in his life, you read the exact same thing. Philippians 3, 7 to 9, Paul says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And that word garbage, that is everything Paul used to value in the world. Everything that he used to think was worth living for and worth having as his goal is now garbage in comparison to Jesus. Paul knows that Jesus is better than anything he used to think was good. And actually, I'll give you one more example. Um, lots of people in your church this morning have kids. It's so lovely to see kids in church. Um, I think Jonathan was right that it's been sad to not see kids just mucking in together and getting muddy and sticky and stuff. But when a kid um, has something they're not meant to be holding, let's say like um, a battery or something, and they're just sucking on a, a battery, like one of those big nine volt ones. And as a parent or as a carer, you're thinking, what is going on? Like get that battery out of, out of your hand. What happens, what happens when you just take it out of their hand? Like they start to cry. They, they wail and they want their battery back because that's the thing that they were consumed with. So the good parenting technique is to take the battery out and give them something better. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, this thing is even more amazing. That battery is, is rubbish. Unless you get a really tricky kid who is just adamant on the battery, which does happen from time to time. But why do children do that? It's because they've realized that this new toy is better than the old one 
that they were playing with before. The reason I'm using all of these examples is because we must do the same when it comes to our quest uh, to live for God's glory. We can't just try harder when our goal is, is living for ourselves, living for the world. The, the thing we must first do is remind ourselves of the value and the beauty of pursuing God himself. That his glory is actually worthwhile um, having as your goal. How do we do that again? Um, well, actually, we did discuss it this morning. It involves tasting and seeing that God is good, like David did in Psalm 34. It involves actually experiencing God, which is something that we don't often do naturally. It involves knowing in the depths of your heart, like Paul clearly does here, that God is in and of himself worthy of your praise, worthy of living your life for. How do we do that? Well, when we go to scripture, what kind of God do we find there? Well, we find a God that formed us in our mother's wombs. We find a God that knows us as a father. We find a God that loves us with an everlasting love, a God who desires to know us, a God who, while you were still a sinner, died for you on a cross of wood, a God that rose again to defeat death, a God who, when we trust in, you then also have victory over sin and death, even though you were at one point still living in your sin and rebellion against God. We worship a God who, again, as we mentioned this morning, reaches out to you when no one else will. A God who says to widows, don't cry. A God who says to the weary and to the heavy burdened, to those who are exhausted by trying to follow the law and faking it till they make it. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Because all of a sudden, you don't just have to try harder, you're found in him primarily, and then you can go and, and live the life. This God that I'm describing is the God that we are, as Christians, one with. We're united with Christ. We are in him, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. And what I'd encourage you to do from time to time when living for yourself seems more attractive than living for God, is just consider how all of those things I've just mentioned make you feel. Um, not just in your head, because we're very good at that, but in your heart. So I think when you truly understand um, that you are nothing without Jesus, but with Jesus you are an adopted child of God, I think that will set your heart on fire. And I think that will make God's glory worth pursuing. And this is what will lead us to be like Paul. Grasping this is what will lead us to try and live for God's glory. Um, there is a joy here. And it's, it's really hard to live for yourself um, when you are aware of just how worthy God is and how worthwhile living for him is as well come back to that at the very end. But I did say um, that, number one, remember that the Christian's life is to be, um, the goal is to live for God's glory. But number two, when you do that, you're led to incredible boldness. Remember, B-O-L-D. Um, let's go back into the passage. Verse 14 and 15, here's what we read. Paul says this, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, competent to instruct one another, 
that I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. So in these verses, um, Paul kind of calls out the elephant in the room, um, which is that throughout the book of Romans, he's actually not been totally 100% positive at times. He's actually had to be quite firm with the Roman church because there were some big issues, um, as is in lots of the letters. Uh, and some of these were wide ranging and complex issues, some real gospel truths needed to be said in, in every sense of, of that phrase. But Paul actually also wants to make something clear here, is that actually, even though he's been firm with them, it is not because they're absolutely hopeless. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Paul says in these verses that we just read that these Roman Christians are pretty legit. They, they know what they're doing, um, so much so that they're full of goodness, says Paul, and able to instruct each other. And that's important because you have to be pretty knowledgeable with the gospel to instruct someone else on it, like anything that you teach. So Paul hasn't slapped some, you know, new, fresh Christians on the wrist, people that, you know, are, are young and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. These are people who know what they're doing. Paul has addressed difficult issues throughout this letter with a group of relatively mature Christians. In his own words, he's written to them boldly. And I want to suggest that the only reason Paul has been able to write to these people boldly is because his goal has been to bring God glory. You see, if, if Paul's goal wasn't bringing God glory, if Paul's goal was self-preservation or something far removed from God, then when he was faced with a difficult situation like this one, why would he bother addressing these difficult issues? Why would Paul make himself uncomfortable and uh, speak boldly to these mature Christians if God wasn't his first and foremost priority? If Paul was just living for himself, then he wouldn't be bold for the gospel. But when God's glory is your ultimate goal, it does lead you to be bold. It leads you to do amazing things because it, it, is, a, it is a goal worth sacrificing for. When God's glory is your ultimate aim in life. It means that you're willing to have difficult conversations with people, even though they make you uncomfortable. It means that you're willing to go the extra mile and do things that seem ridiculous to the world, because the world is not your goal. Satisfying those around you is not your goal. Living and satisfying God is, is your goal. And this made Paul bold throughout his ministry. We see it here, but we see it everywhere. Right here in verse 19, we read that he's preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. And these are two places that are a thousand miles apart. And that is phenomenal considering they didn't have cars um, 2000 years ago. Uh, you'd have to trust that the boat would get you there safely. And even that took you ages. Paul was bold enough to take the gospel as far as anyone had ever taken it before. Throughout the book of Acts as well, um, you read of the boldness of Paul's faith in God. It leads him to go from city to city, people to people, knowing that he's going to face persecution. Why does he do that, though? It's because he knows it's worth it to simply proclaim the gospel to the glory of God. Paul's goal is God's glory, and that leads him to be bold. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said that my goal was trying to get to university and that led me to go to bed before 10 p.m. with my Horlicks. That's rubbish. 
in comparison to this goal that Paul is holding up for us here. I'll give you one example, because I think this is an incredible one. In Acts 21, um, of Paul's boldness, that is, God has made it clear to Paul in Acts 21 that Paul has to go back to Jerusalem. Um, and while he's in Caesarea on the way, there are people that he's staying with who are saying, like, Paul, this is a really bad idea. Um, the Jewish leaders are going to bind you up and they're going to do harm to you and they're going to hurt you physically. Um, and yeah, it's not going to be good, Paul, they basically say. And what does Paul do? Does he listen to these very well-meaning Christians who are telling him not to go? No, Paul goes anyway. He goes in boldness. Why does he do that? It's because his goal isn't his own personal safety. His goal is the glory of God, which leads him to be bold, to go and proclaim the gospel in this place where he might get a beating. And that's what leads Paul to end up in Rome, testifying before Caesar as well. His goal leads him to do crazy stuff in the eyes of the world, the stuff that God wants him to do. When God is your goal, um, that is what will happen. And I think if you're anything like me, you, you read passages like those ones in Acts that I just read out. And you read about characters in the Bible, like in Hebrews 11, with all of the amazing faith people, um, people that have shown great faith. And you're, you're just thinking to yourself, oh, if, if only I could have a faith like that. You're thinking, oh, if only I could be like Paul, um, if only I could be like Moses, if only I could be like David. But the beauty is you can. You can be like those people. Because when you look to God, and when God is your, uh, your goal, his glory is your goal, then that will make you bold too. Um, if you don't believe me, then just look at the Apostle Peter. Peter followed Jesus throughout his ministry for the whole time and then he's sitting on this uh, around a fire with a bunch of strangers and a small servant girl um, basically just says to him you know were you with Jesus were you one of those people this isn't a Roman soldier that's threatening him this is just a servant girl and Peter denies Jesus even though he'd literally just said a few days earlier that he'd rather die than deny Jesus uh, to Jesus himself. That's Luke 22. Then fast forward six chapters to Acts 4, and Peter is in the Sanhedrin. He's in front of the Jewish council that was very, very intimidating. They threaten Peter and John, the guy he's with, for preaching about Jesus. And in the face of that, which is infinitely more scary, infinitely more um, of a desperate situation in terms of their physical safety. Does Peter deny Jesus this time? No. He prays with the disciples, and we read this, um, Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word boldly. So what's the difference between Peter from Luke 22, where he denies before a servant girl, and Peter in Acts 4, where he stands up to the Sanhedrin? Well, I think that the difference this time is that Peter is looking to God. Peter's goal isn't his own safety, uh, his own skin, like it clearly was in Luke 22. Peter's goal is now simply bringing God glory, proclaiming the glory of God to the Jewish leaders. And that leads him to be bold. 
And we read in Acts 4.32 that the Holy Spirit enabled him to speak the words boldly too. And my encouragement for all of you um, is to, to be like Peter, to look to God and acknowledge that it is his Holy Spirit which will enable you to, to be bold, just like it did for him. But let me finish um, by just saying that the same Holy Spirit that lived in Paul, the same Holy Spirit that lived in Peter, uh, lives in your heart too as a Christian. And if you make God's glory your goal, you will be able to do exciting, crazy, amazing things because that is what you truly care about. But let me finish by saying, consider your passions, your interests, your gifts, um, like we did earlier. Bring those goals, um, the things that you enjoy under the ultimate goal of doing what you were created to do, which is bringing God glory. But as you do all of these things, everything we've spoken about tonight, um, please do so reminding yourself first and foremost, that God is worthy of living your life for, that God is a treasure in and of himself, a treasure worth giving up everything for, because that is the key uh, to basically unlocking everything we're discussing and everything about the Christian life as well. God is the most delightful and lovely person. He is worthy of your praise and your adoration. And when you just simply strip it back to basics, and you see him in that way, that is when you'll be led to, to be a Paul, uh, to be a Moses, to be a Peter. Broken people with God as their ultimate goal. Let's pray. Father, we look at the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, and we see um, a guy that is on fire for Jesus someone whose goal is to simply make God look good, to make you look good, Father. And it's so easy for us to, to look at Paul and think, wow, we are nowhere near that. We are nowhere near having you as our goal, um, working towards and living for you. So Father, please give us space, give us time, um, an opportunity to reflect, to, to look at you in your word and to see you as someone that is worthy, someone that is glorious, someone that is worthy of our praise. Remind us that you are our heavenly father that loves us so deeply that you reach out to us when no one else would. And remind us that you died and rose again for us, Jesus, that you are worthy. And may we then go and be bold. May we then consider our contexts and our circumstances and think, how can we live for you? How can we display to others that you are good and not us? For the purposes of your glory, for the purposes of building up your kingdom, bringing many, many people into it. And for everyone in this Zoom, for Great Parks Chapel, I just pray um, that you will bless them in that, as they will seek to serve you and honour you and glorify you as we should. We pray these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.